1: Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio.
2: Ah, hello, and how are you? What a week it's been. The world somehow managed to find more ways to turn itself upside down and inside out. 2020. What a year. Pop on into another episode of Attaboy Clarence. Got a cracker of a show ahead, starring Gene Arthur. Fred us there. Edward G. Robinson, James Stewart, Warren William, Edward Arnold, Gary Cooper, and a whole load more. Ugh! We're currently in lockdown here in the UK, so you must excuse me for a moment. I like to take a short drive in my Ford to get some air and all that. Come along if you like. Ah, traffic lights pull up to the stop here. Looks like there's a bit of a gathering. wonder what all that's about. Here are some most
3: happy fellas. The four lads for Ford.
4: Standing on the corner
5: watching all the Ford go by.
2: Yikes, these guys really have a thing for Fords.
5: Standing on the corner giving all
0: the Ford the odds.
2: Yeah, put it away, mate, please.
6: Look at it go, it's the thunderbird, it's Get in a fort, get for the try. So don't be standing
5: on the corner. What all the force, what all the force, be the guy goes.
2: Ah, green at last. Let's see what I've got here on the radio instead.
0: I wake up every morning with a smile on my face Everything in its place as it should be I start out every morning just free as the breeze My care's upon the shelf Because I find myself with no strings No connection, no ties to my affections I'm fancy free and free for anything fancy No dates can't be broken, no words that can't be spoken, especially when I am feeling romancey. Like a robin upon a tree, like a sailor that goes to sea, like an unwritten melody, I'm free, that's me. So bring on the big attraction. My decks are cleared for action. I'm fancy-free and free for anything fancy.
2: And that was the glorious Fred Astaire with no strings. Beautiful stuff. Hey, it's that time again. A new issue of The Dark Pages is here. Karen and the team have put together a wonderful issue for you all, focusing on the best that noir cinema has to offer just in time for Noir Vember. There's a review of 1944's Lady in the Death House. There's news of the four-noir movie collection from Warner Archive. All the best noir on TCM for Noir Vember is highlighted. There's even a review of a pretty unique noir western showing on TCM called Blood on the Moon. Topping it all off is a look at Maxwell Shane's curious dual film outing in which he directed the same Cornell Woolrich story twice, once with Edward G. Robinson and once with Kevin McCarthy. Get your Noir Vember edition of the Dark Pages from www.allthatnoir.com where you can even get a free issue. Off now to the What's My Line studios to see how clever you folks are. The panel has a Hollywood star ready and waiting, but can you guess who it is from the voice itself? Let's find out as we play. Who the hell is that Hollywood legend?
3: All right, panel, you know, in the case of our mystery guest, we go to a different form of questioning. You'll ask one question at a time, in turn, moving clockwise. And let's begin with uh, Arlene Francis.
7: Well, the audience certainly recognized you. Uh, May I assume from that that you, perhaps, might be a picture personality?
6: It's Jeff Fields and his bubbling
0: rhythm, will you?
3: (laughs) This is the Rippler, Mr. Powell. (laughs) He keeps on gargling, he'll get rid of that sore throat. (laughs) Are, are you
0: in, 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 the, in the city here to publicize any particular picture?
4: <laughs> <laughs> One down and
6: nine to go, Miss <laughs> H-
7: Have you ever appeared in nightclubs or supper clubs?
3: Don't swallow it. <laughs>
7: <laughs> oh, no, <not> at
5: all. <laughs> Two down and eight to go, Mr. Uh, is that bubbling personality of yours on view in some show that is currently running on or near Broadway? <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, Yes. Miss
0: Preston?
8: Sounds like a show that isn't doing well.
0: <laughs> is, it, uh, is it a comedy? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Powell?
3: <laughs> I wish I were as confident, yeah.
0: I'll have to pass
3: this, really.
5: All right,
6: Miss Kilgallen?
7: It isn't a comedy that Arlene is in, is it? Oh. Once more with feeling.
5: <laughs>
2: <laughs> we'll break off there. Keep your guesses to yourselves and we'll see later on if you're correct. For now, let's stick with the stare today and keep that pep in your step.
0: Have you seen the well to do? Different types who wear a day coat, pants with stripes, cutaway coat, perfect fits, putting on the ritz, dressed up like a million dollar trooper, trying hard to look like Gary Cooper, super duper, come let's mix, where Rockefellers walk with sticks, or umbrellas in their mitts. Putting on the ritz <laughs> tips his hat just like an English chap. To a lady with a wealthy pappy, very snappy, you'll declare it's simply topping to be there and hear them swapping smart tidbits, Put on the Ritz.
2: Fred again there with putting on the Ritz. Beautiful. Movies, then. Another of those odd attempts by rival studios to gate crash the Warner gangster cycle comes in the form of 1937's The Last Gangster, made over at MGM. Yes, MGM. And what an interesting heritage it has, too. They managed to snaffle the services of Edward G. Robinson to play the lead and roped in the likes of Lionel Stander, John Carradine, Sidney Blackmer, and Edward Brophy. So, your regular gangster gallery. The most interesting casting in this movie though is James Stewart. Yes, old George Bailiowski himself here cast as a newspaper reporter, dashing lead, and love interest in a movie that took me completely by surprise. Here's a clip.
3: Ambassador, there's an ex-fellow countryman of yours aboard, Joe Krozak. We are not proud of him. Well now some people think there's a lot of glamour about a big shot racketeer. I do not.
5: I regard him as an enemy of the public, a blot upon your civilization. A man who makes organized crime and murder a business.
2: We begin in very familiar territory. Robinson plays Joe Krozak, a hard-as-nails mob boss who returns from a holiday in Europe with a surprise for his gang. He's only gone and got himself hitched to the beautiful Talia, played by Rose Stradner, who has no idea about Joe's criminal life.
9: Listen, honey, I gotta go out for a little while. You just stay here and be quiet. Doc, will be right over, eh? Yeah. Oh, you go away from me, Joe. I'll be right back, kid. Why don't you turn any somersaults when I'm gone?
2: Upon arriving home, Joe finds that a rival gang has cut in on his turf, so he has them assassinated, a crime for which he's quickly prosecuted and incarcerated in Alcatraz. This, of course, blows the lid off his gang career, and Talia soon knows everything about the man she married. Matters are complicated by the fact that Talia is pregnant with their child, a situation that Joe is delighted by, as he's always wanted an heir to take over the family business.
4: You... You're happy, Joe?
5: Happy? Why, I'm so happy, I, I like to go out and bust somebody in the nose. Boy, do I know how to pick him? Why, I'm the happiest man in the world.
2: <laughs> Their son is born, Joe Jr., imaginative thinking there, but eager to shield him from a dark future. Talia runs away and marries Paul North, played by James Stewart. When Joe gets out of prison, he sets out on a mission to get his son back, but his old gang also have ideas about Joe and kidnap Joe Jr. in order to make Joe Sr. tell them where he hid a
9: fortune. Hiya, sonny boy! Had a long trip today, huh? Ooh, sort of confused. Well, your old man's confused too.
4: My father?
10: Is my father here? Where?
9: Right here, the great Joe Crozak. He's been pining for you, sonny boy.
10: Father?
9: That's not my father. Sure it is. Ain't he
2: pretty? I won't tell you any more. I know it seems like I've told you the whole plot. I can assure you that there's far more to it than all that. I am stupefied by the fact that more people don't know about this film. This is one of the finest gangster tragedies from the 30s. I would put this right up there with the likes of The Public Enemy, Little Caesar, Angels with Dirty Faces, Dr. Clitterhouse. Clitterhouse! The Roaring Twenties. The Last Gangster absolutely belongs in that hallowed company. It's an incredibly moving story, and I realise how silly that might sound about a shoot-em-up crime thriller, but this has a bucket of aces up its sleeve that I refuse to spoil for you. I love the way that MGM manages to not just pay homage to the Warner Gangster Cycle, but also give it an incredible epitaph. It's a genius tale of corruption, parenthood, Betrayal. It even has a lot to say about the media. The third act of the film absolutely clutched me by the heart and refused to let go. It's unforgettable. And it's energized by a blistering Edward G. Robinson portrayal. He's been great in lots of things, he's timeless in this. He's like the last survivor in a Steinbeck novel, shuffling closer to his doom and preparing himself all the way for what's going to happen. James Stewart is very interesting casting, a little bit disposable in this, and adorned by the creepiest moustache of the 20th century for long sections of the movie. But what a fascinating footnote in his career. And what a gift it is to see such big personalities playing off against each other, and in so surprisingly emotional a way. If you're a fan of the gangster movies of the golden age there's every chance that you haven't yet seen 1937's the last gangster you need to amend that as soon as possible you have a real treat in store seek it out and fall in love with it it's brilliant Now, if you remember a few weeks ago on one of the bonus review shows I sent out to patrons, or if you attended the film festival back in October, you may recall a film entitled False Faces, the shocking pre-code story of a quack doctor who grows in power with little care of what happens to his patients along the way. It was based on a true story, and when I screened it in October, it drew literal gasps of horror from our audience who couldn't quite believe how dark it got. Seemingly, this theme of a doctor who doesn't know what he's doing but enjoying the rise to power all the same was one that was far more common than we might think. In 1934, Warners produced Bedside, starring the eternal scoundrel himself, Warren Williams. Alongside Gene Muir, Alan Jenkins, and Donald Meek, and I'd like to tell you all about it today.
11: When did you come through? I haven't yet. Say, what's good for a morning after a headache? A quarter of bootleg gin the night before?
3: I found that out. Say, Ed, my laundry come in? Sure I got money. Send it up. I have fixed for Dojo. Well, I got a rich aunt in Tacoma, and if she dies, why
11: a couple of bucks? Sure, but not for your laundry. Well, do I have to go to my office like this? As far as I'm concerned, you don't have to go to your office at all. But Pansy won't leave my laundry unless I pay for it. Pansy's getting smart.
2: William plays Bob Brown, an X-ray technician who decides there must be more to life than menial tasks. He borrows $1,500 from his long-suffering girlfriend Caroline, played by Jean Muir, ostensibly to finish his medical school training, but true to form, the wastrel Bob gambles it away and arrives in New York without a penny.
5: What would you do if you had four sevens? I'd bet everything, up to and including my mother-in-law. And that's
2: what I did <laughs> friend, I you up the Now through a series of contrivances Bob meets up with a drug-addicted doctor And persuades him to sell his medical certificate He then hires an actual doctor In the shape of Donald Meek To do the actual diagnosing While he takes the credit And he also hires Alan Jenkins As his press secretary Because why wouldn't you?
11: Now what do you think of the well-known Sammy Sparks? Not bad for a start, eh? Not bad! What more do you want? you get five grand and a million bucks worth of publicity. You know, Sparks, I've been thinking. Even if a man has the silence of a creel or the technique of a male, if the public doesn't know about him, he will never get anywhere. I see. In other words, you'd like to use the services of a nice young press agent.
2: Precisely. It isn't long before Bob is selling his partner's cures to the wealthy, disillusioned folks of New York's upper but the first rule of doctor's club is never trust the blackmailer and when the drug addicts doctor shows up demanding more money for his silence Bob suddenly finds himself in a very dangerous situation
7: you've been fooling me for a good many months everybody else too I
8: don't know what you mean
7: you haven't been taking care of any of the patients who come here dr. Wiley's been doing it all the whole business it's just one thing I don't understand how you passed your examination how you got your diploma How did you get your diploma,
2: Bob? Again, this is a movie I don't want to spoil too much for you as the drama at its heart becomes very real indeed and it certainly has the power to shock. But while False Faces was definitely more of a gritty, upsetting film about a pathological liar who gaslights people in order to get away with some truly hideous crimes against human beings. Bedside is more of a playful take on that story with a few plot developments that seem more universal horror than slice-of-life drama. Seriously, there are elements of this movie that actually seem more designed to scare you than move you. The drug-addicted doctor, for instance, known in the film as John Smith, has this uncanny ability to simply appear somewhere in the background of a scene. And his arrival is always a heart-stopping moment. It's almost as though he possesses some weird supernatural power like an avenging ghost. Very creepy. And then you have the ending, which is less false faces than it is Frankenstein. Yes, this really does get quite wacky as it goes on. The characters in the movie are definitely paper thin. I mean, Bob has little to redeem him, but quite honestly, he's a Warren William rascal and all that entails. You've seen him play this character a hundred times. The proof that it's pre-code really comes in the final moments where unlike False Faces, Bob seems to almost get away with what he's done. It's an interesting film. I do think False Faces is superior. I remember the first time I saw that, I felt like I'd been hit by a truck. The lasting damage from bedside is not so powerful or long-lasting. However, if you're a fan of the Warren Williams show, as I am, then it's definitely worth seeking
4: out.
0: I just got an invitation through the mails. Your presence requested this evening, it's formal. A top hat, a white tie, a tail. Nothing now could take the wind out of my sails. Because I'm invited to step out this evening with top hat, white tie, and tails. Oh, I'm putting on my top hat, tying up my white tie, brushing off my tails. I'm booting up my shirt front, putting in the shirt studs, polishing my nails. I'm stepping out, my dear, to breathe an atmosphere that simply reeks with class. And I trust that you'll excuse my dust when I step on the gas. For I'll be there, putting down my top hat, mussing up my white tie, dancing in my tail.
2: Mr. Astaire once more there with top hat, white tie and tails. Offered without comment now... One of the greatest films ever made. One that took me a few watches to fully appreciate, because being an Englishman, I'm actually not completely aware of how American governments actually work. At least I wasn't until the past week or so, and now I know absolutely everything about Congress and Senates and Executive Orders and the House of Representatives and Supreme Courts, and how they all tie together and why numbers matter so much. So yes, the first time I saw this movie, I admit to not fully... Understanding it, my own lack of education, I assure you, nothing to do with the peerless storytelling, the impeccable casting, superlative direction, and the downright brilliance of Frank Capra's *Mr. Smith Goes to Washington*.
6: I, I, I can't help feeling that there's been a big mistake somehow. <laughs> of course, I never could, uh, I never could see why we needed two senators from this state when we have a man like. Joseph Harrison Payne representing us already he probably doesn't remember me he knew my father very well Clayton Smith went to school together and very very good friends so it's to just to sit here with him is a very great honor for me because I remember dad used to tell me that Joe Payne was the finest man he ever knew I uh, I don't think I'm going to be much help to you down there in Washington, Senator. I'll, I'll do my best, although with all my might, I, I can promise you one thing. I'll do nothing to disgrace the office of the United States Senator.
2: Jefferson Smith, played by James Stewart, is an idealistic Boy Rangers leader who's selected by a corrupt governor. To become a new state senator, not for the positive changes he will bring, but because he's imagined to be a simpleton who will follow the orders and wishes of his fellow state senator, Joe Payne, played by Claude Rains. Listen, Jim,
9: the simpleton of all times, a big-eyed patriot, knows Lincoln and Washington by heart, stands at attention in the governor's presence, he even collects stray boys and cats. He does what? Joe, you know what I'm talking about. A perfect man, never in politics in his life. Wouldn't know what it was all about in two years, let alone two months. And the important thing, and this was the genius of the stroke. oh It means Foltz, the hero
5: of 50,000 boys and 100,000 parents. Let's look over those congratulations that have been pouring in. I tell you, gentlemen, with this one state. But you like... made this appointment without asking me. But Jim, when the lightning struck... You didn't ask me. Oh, Jim. Now, wait a minute, Jim. Happy may have hit on something tremendous here. There, you see? Do you really think you can handle this, what you call them in Washington? Do you think it's all right? I think it's all right. A young patriot recites Lincoln and Jefferson, turned loose in our nation's capital. Yeah, I think it's all right.
2: Yes, the state is a corrupt one, run by political boss Jim Taylor, played by Edward Arnold, who controls the graft and much of the press for the state. Smith is quickly written off as a bumpkin by not just the men who want to control him, but also by the press, and by Smith's own new assistant, the wily, world-weary Saunders, played by Gina.
10: Whose statue's that? Uh, I wouldn't know in the daytime. What?
6: Well, oh, look. Look, the Capitol dome, it's all lighted up. Look at it. Um,
10: You uh, you better relax, Senator. You'll get yourself plum wore out.
6: Gee whiz, so many things happen all at once. Uh, Miss Saunders, what time does the Senate... Uh, uh, convene?
10: Convene, convene, yeah. What time? 12 noon.
6: 12 noon. Boy, that'll be something. You know what I'd better do in the morning?
10: Uh, No, Mr. Smith. What did you better? I think I'd better go out
6: to Mount Vernon. It'd be sort of a fine thing to do. Visit Washington's home before walking into the Senate for the first time. Don't you think that'd be a good idea?
10: Wonderful, wonderful. puts you right in the mood. Uh
6: What's that? What's that? Movie house.
2: (laughs) But the political machine run by Taylor hasn't counted upon Smith's quiet wisdom and patriotism. When Smith attempts to use his new position in order to set up a boys camp in his home state, he discovers that the land he wants to use is actually part of a graft scheme that will net the Taylor machine millions of dollars.
5: Thirty years ago, I had your ideals. I was you. I had to make the same decision you were asked to make today. And I made it. I compromised, yes. So that all those years I could sit in that Senate and serve the people in a thousand honest ways. you got to face facts, Jeff. I've served our state well, haven't I? But, well, I've had to compromise. I've had to play ball. You can't count on people voting. Half the time they don't vote anyway. That's how states and empires have been built since time began, don't you understand? Now, I've told you all this because, well, I've grown very fond of you. About like a son, in fact. And I don't want to see you get hurt. When that deficiency bill comes up in the Senate tomorrow, you stay away from it. Don't say a word. Great powers are behind it, and they'll destroy you before you even get started. For your own sake, Jeff, and for the sake of my friendship with your father, please, don't say a word. Smith's
2: downfall begins when he tries to bring the crimes to the attention of the Senate, but is subsequently blocked and counterpunched by Payne, who accuses Smith of being the criminal framing him in front of the whole world.
5: You may proceed, Senator. I refer to the bill he is introduced in this chamber for the creation of a national boy's camp. He named a certain portion of land to be dedicated to that purpose and to be bought by contributions from boys all over America. Senators, I have conclusive evidence to prove that my colleague owns the very land described in his bill. He bought it the day following his appointment to the Senate and is holding it, using this body in his privileged office for his own personal profit. (coughs) Boy Ranger had a right. This doesn't make sense. Accordingly, I offer a resolution on immediate inquiry by the Committee of Privileges and Elections as to the fitness of my colleague to continue to sit in this chamber. Mr. President, I...
2: The stage is set for a final battle in which each player must find the will and the spirit to fight for what they believe in, and thereby restore hope and dignity to the highest echelons of American government. I mean, let's just put aside the startling similarities to the world of today for a moment and concentrate on the movie itself. It's a staggering film in terms of emotional heft. If you've ever wondered why being on the side of the angels matters so much then all you need to do is spend two hours in the company of Frank Capra's masterpiece on why right matters. If you give yourself over to it, there's no way you're walking out the other side without tears. It's a beautiful ode to hope, to positivity, to doing the right thing, and to the power of one man so long as he's willing to fight for what he believes in. It's anchored by a powerhouse performance by James Stewart in his star-making role. I mean, he was popular by now, but this put him into the big leagues. Gene Arthur also is just terrific as the embittered Washingtonite who finds herself buying into the Smith message, even though it pains her to do so. There's a scene in which she tells him what he's up against, and then she leaves, only to have a small breakdown in the hall outside, and it should have netted her and Oscar. Why
10: don't you go home? Tell your little streams about your camp and the land of the free. This is no place for you. You're halfway decent. You don't belong here. Now go home. So you want to be a senator, huh? You're going to build a camp on Willow Creek. See this? Deficiency bill. Section number 40, a dam going up where you think your camp's going to be. Ever hear of it? No. They read all about it in the Senate today, but you weren't supposed to hear. That's why that ritzy dame took you in tow. That's why they sent you here in the first place, because you don't know a damn from a bathtub. Go ahead. Be a senator. Try and mess up Mr. Taylor's little graft. But if you can't, and you can't in nine million years, go home. Don't stay around here making people feel sorry for you.
2: And the final battle in the Senate, where she's guiding him from above like an angel, just makes you leap for joy.
6: Now, you're not going to have a country that can make these kind of rules work. If you haven't got men that have learned to tell human rights from a punch in the nose.
2: Claude Rains also, I mean, I know he's a bad guy in this, but what a performance. I'm so glad the movie ends the way it does, with a redemptive moment for him, because the agonising conflict in his face all the way through is gut-wrenching.
5: Jeff, you're just like your father. Thank you, sir. Even to the head. Same old dreamer, too. Now, one look at you and I can see him. Back at his old roll-top desk, hat and all, getting out his paper. Always kept his hat on, he said, so as to ready to do battle. Clayton Smith, editor and publisher, and champion of lost causes.
6: And Dad
5: always used to say the only causes worth fighting for were the lost causes. You don't have to tell me, Jeff. No, we were a team, the two of us. A struggling editor and a struggling lawyer. The twin champions of lost causes, they used to call us. Oh, Mars told me about it a thousand times. No, his last fight was his best, Jeff. He and his little four-page paper against that mining syndicate. And all to defend the right of one small miner who stuck to his claim. You know, they tried everything. bribery, intimidation. And then... Yes, Ma well, found him slumped over his desk that morning. Shot in the back. I was there. I can see him. That old roller top desk. Still with his hat on. Still with his
2: hat on. In fact, the original ending of the movie had far more in terms of Payne's long walk back to respectability. He's visited by Smith following the climax and forgiven. I do hope that one day we get to see all of the cut scenes in some kind of you know extended version, as there were several other moments taken out too. Then you have the always great Edward Arnold, the superb Guy Kibbe, Thomas Mitchell, Eugene Pallette, Beulah Bondi, Astrid Alwyn, Ruth Donnelly, Grant Mitchell, Porter Hall, William Demarest, H.B. Warner and of course one of the best characters in the whole thing, Harry Carey as the President of the Senate providing one of the warmest, most wonderful supporting roles. And most of the punch-the-air moments. Mr.
11: President, I
6: trust the chair first. I have the
11: floor. However, Senator Smith is still a member of this body, and as such, has an equal claim on the attention of this chair.
6: You are about to recognize me, sir. It's merely your impression, Senator.
4: Let him speak! Yeah. Yeah.
11: Before proceeding further, I might remind the visitors in the gallery that they are here as our guests and should conduct themselves as such. And I might add that their sentiments in no way will affect the judgment of this chair. The chair recognises Senator Smith.
5: Thanks, sir. Is, here we go.
2: I could gush on forever. It's a perfect film. A perfect, perfect film. Perhaps the best example of Frank Capra's thesis on the world that good always wins if you fight hard enough. Hope is always a better solution than fear and division, all encased in the most glorious of Hollywood productions and peopled by one of the greatest casts ever assembled in one place. They don't come more perfect or more timely than Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Surprisingly, when I looked into the land of old-time radio, I was shocked to find out that there was no radio adaptation of Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. I always thought that Lux had adapted it, but sorrowfully not. However, they did a remarkable version of another Capra classic, and one that contains that self-same message at its core, that you should always remain true to yourself and fight on. So for your radio entertainment today, I will leave you in the company of...
11: Gary Cooper and Gene Arthur in Mr. Deeds Goes to Town with Lionel Sanders. <laughs> Lux presents Hollywood. Tonight, the makers of Lux Flakes bring you Gary Cooper, Gene Arthur, and Lionel Sander. As special guests, Sidney Skolsky, nationally known Hollywood columnist, and Faye Gillis, noted aviatrix and foreign correspondent. Our producer, Cecil B. DeMille. Our conductor, Louis Silvers. Welcome, everyone, to Hollywood and to another hour in the Lux Radio Theater. And now, before introducing Mr. DeMille, I'd like to share with you a letter from a California woman, one of our unseen radio audience, Mrs. Roberta Hurst of
7: San Jose. you an ardent user of Lux Flakes. I'd like to thank you not only for the treat you give us on the air Monday nights, but for the boon luxes to my household. I use lux flakes for all my lingerie, all fine laundering, and for dishes. In every instance where my hands come into contact
4: with...
11: I'm sorry we cannot give you the rest of Mrs. Hurst's enthusiastic letter, but I'd like to emphasize one point. Lux flakes do protect a woman's hands just as they protect fine fabrics. So, why not use Lux for all soap and water jobs, especially dishwashing? Lux protects the natural oils of the skin, leaves your hands soft and white. Start using Lux flakes for your dishes tomorrow. And now, we present Hollywood's foremost producer, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Cecil B. DeMille. Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. Gary Cooper and Gene Arthur were born to the roles they play tonight. Mandrake Falls, where our play opens, might have been any one of the prairie towns Gary once called home. While the town Mr. Deeds goes to is the town Jean Arthur came from, New York. As Babe Bennett, Jean writes lines for a New York paper. While before she came to Hollywood, she delivered lines from a New York stage. Longfellow Deeds devoted his spare moments to writing greeting card poetry. Gary also likes to use a pencil. But instead of making rhymes, he draws pictures. He confided to me that his artistry is merely a case of advanced doodling, which had its beginning when he filled in all the O's in his third grade reader. Their work in Mr. Deeds convinced me that Mr. Cooper and Miss Arthur were definitely the stars I wanted for the roles of Wild Bill Hickok and Calamity Jane, in our picture, The Plainsman. I knew that Gary, raised in a saddle could be as western as sagebrush in the setting sun. Whatever hesitation I might have had about Jean Arthur was dispelled when I saw her practicing to snap a 15-foot bullwhip around a cowboy's wrist to make him drop a bottle. By letting her use my outstretched arm as a target, Jean had the chance to do what many stars have wanted to do, whip a director. Lionel Stander, in resuming his role of corny Cobb, gives us another member of the original cast together with the celebrated, pixelated sisters. Mr. Deeds has been voted the best comedy of, New York, of 1936 by the New York critics, a well-deserved feather in the cap of Columbia Pictures, and director Frank Capra. We've had both its brilliant author and adapter on this program, Clarence Buddington Kelland and Robert Riskin. Now, we present the stars and the story. Ladies and gentlemen... Deluxe Radio Theater spotlights, Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, starring Gary Cooper and Gene Arthur with Lionel Sanders. Our story begins in the little town of Mandrake Falls, population 600. On the porch of an old-fashioned frame house, two men are waiting for an answer to their knock. They're clearly out of their element here. Clearly, city folks. As the older man, a sharp eyed attorney, taps his foot impatiently, the door is opened by a motherly old lady.
1: Good morning. Good morning. Is
3: Mr. Longfellow Deeds at home?
1: Why, no, he isn't, but I'm expecting him any minute. Won't you come in, please?
3: Thank you. Uh, uh, my name is Cedar. Uh, I'm an attorney. This gentleman is Mr. Cobb.
1: How do you do, Mr. Cedar? How do you do, Mr. Cobb? Hi. Come right in here, gentlemen. Mr. Deeds is in the park arranging for the bazaar. They're trying to raise money for a fire engine. Sit down, gentlemen.
3: Uh, thank you. Um, uh, are you related to Mr. Deeds?
1: Oh, no. I'm Mrs. Meredith. I'm his housekeeper.
3: Well, then perhaps you can tell us something about him. Uh, what does he do for a living?
1: Why, he and Jim Mason own the tower works. But that isn't where he makes his money. He makes most of it out of his poetry.
9: Poetry? He writes poetry?
1: My goodness, yes. Longfellow's famous. He writes those things on postcards. You know, for Christmas and Easter and birthdays. Yeah.
9: How long do you think he will be?
1: Oh, he won't be long. Because it ain't raining. When it rains, he likes to take long walks.
9: <laughs> like? Him.
1: There. There he is now. I'll, I'll tell him you're here.
9: Cedar, did you hear that? Yeah. The old man must have been goofy to leave all his dough to this yokel. Oh, well. How much do you figure the estate will amount to after the taxes are deducted? About 20 million. Better be careful how you spring it on him. He's liable to keel over from the shop.
12: Good morning, gentlemen.
3: Oh, good morning. Uh, are you Longfellow Deeds? That's right. Uh, my name is John Cedar. Of the New York firm of Cedar, Cedar, Cedar and Buddington. Uh, my card. Cedar, Cedar, Cedar and Buddington. Cedar.
12: Buddington must feel like an awful stranger.
3: Hmm. Not bad. <laughs> this is Mr. Cornelius Cobb, Mr. Deeds. Hi. Very well, thanks. Uh, Mr. Deeds, we'd uh, like to ask you a few questions. Excuse me. Uh, Mrs.
12: Meredith?
1: Yes, Longfellow?
12: Have you seen the mouthpiece from my tuba?
1: Why, well, it's right there on the table.
12: Oh, that's right. My new mouthpiece. I keep losing them all the time. Go ahead, Mr. Cedar. Don't pay any attention to me. I just want to see if this thing fits my new bass horn all right.
9: Uh, Mr. Deeds, we have some news for you. Yeah. I suggest you sit down, though, Mr. Uh, Deeds. Mr. Deeds.
4: Mr. Deeds! Does
3: does the name of Martin W. Semple mean anything to you? Not much. An uncle of mine, I
12: think, although I never saw him.
3: Well, he passed on. He was killed in a motor accident in Italy.
12: He was? Now, that's too bad. If there's anything I can do... Uh,
3: Mr. Semple left a great fortune when he died. He left it to you, Mr. Deeds. Deducting taxes, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of $20 million.
4: Well, for crying out loud.
1: What about lunch? Are the gentlemen going to stay? Perhaps. Perhaps you didn't hear me,
3: Mr. Deeds. I, I said the whole
1: simple fortune goes
3: to you. $20 million.
12: Oh, I heard you all right. 20 million. That's quite a bit, isn't it? Oh,
9: it'll do in a pinch.
12: (laughs) Yes, indeed. I wonder why he left all that money to me. I don't need it. I give
1: up. I wish you'd tell me about lunch if the gentlemen are going to stay.
12: Sure, they'll stay. Mrs. Meredith's got some fresh orange layer cake.
10: see, Mr. Cedar? Uh, no, thanks.
3: Uh, you see, Mr. Deeds, uh, Cobb here is an ex-newspaper man, uh, been associated with your uncle for years uh, as a sort of buffer. Buffer? Yeah, glorified doormat. <laughs> you see, rich men need someone to keep cranks away.
12: Cedar, Cedar, Cedar and Buddington. It's funny I can't think of a rhyme for Buddington. Why should you? Oh, whenever I run across a funny name, I always like to poke around for a rhyme. I've got one for Cobb. Huh? There once with a man named Cobb, who kept Semple away from the mob. Came the turn of the tide, and Semple, he died. Now, poor Cobb is out of a job.
9: Sounds like two weeks' notice to me. Huh? I've gotten a sack in many ways, but never in rhyme.
12: Oh, no. <laughs> I didn't mean that. I'm sure I'm going to need your help.
9: Uh, are you married, Mr. D?
12: Who, me? No.
1: He's too fussy. That's what's the matter with him. There are a lot of nice girls in Mandrake Falls who are just dying to...
12: Don't pay any attention to her. Oh,
1: he's got a lot of fool notions about saving a lady in distress.
3: Is saving a lady in distress, huh? Well, we all have those dreams when we're young. <clears throat> uh, well, we'd uh, better get started. Uh, you'll have to pack, Mr. Deeds. What for? You're coming to New York with us. When?
9: Tonight, at 6 o'clock train.
3: That's rather sudden, isn't it? My dear Mr. Deeds, there are a great many important things to take care of. I'm kind of nervous.
12: I've never been away from Mandrake Falls. But I'd like to see Grant's tomb at that.
3: Fine. Uh, we'll walk around town now, Mr. Deeds, uh, and we'll meet you at the train 6 o'clock. Once more
4: now, boys, a farewell song to Longfellow Deeds, the pride of Mandrake Falls. <laughs>
9: The observation platform. So long, Charlie.
12: So long, Ed. So long, Mrs. Meredith. So long.
4: So long. So long. Gosh.
12: Gosh,
4: I got
10: a lot of friends. Cedar 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 in Buddington. One moment, please.
7: Good morning. Oh, good morning, Mr. Cedar.
3: Mr. Buddington in?
7: He's waiting for in your office, Mr. Cedar.
3: Thank you.
10: Cedar, Cedar, Cedar and Buddington. Hello. I'll see
7: you. Mr.
3: Cedar. Cedar, you're back. Morning, Buddington. Well, what happened? What's this fellow Deeds like? We've got nothing to worry about. He's as naive as a child. Did you get the power of attorney? Uh, no, not yet. Oh, you didn't, eh? Huh? Give me a chance. We only arrived this morning. John, if you don't mind my saying so, we can't afford to have... Yes, I know, Buddington. We can't afford to have the books investigated right now. But a half a million dollars. Goodness me, where are we going to get it? Will you stop worrying? Just relax and leave it to me. Those books will never leave this office. Well, I hope not. If they ever do, we'll all land in jail. Listen, I'm going to see Deeds this afternoon. I'll have that power of attorney the first thing in the morning. Leave it to me. I tell you, Buddington, the boy's a simpleton.
9: I'll take that, Deeds. Hello? No. I said no. We ain't got any statements to make. Mr. Deeds has taken over his uncle's Fifth Avenue mansion, that's all. I that was depressed.
3: Oh. Uh... Where were we, Mr. Cedar? Oh, yes. Uh, We were talking about the power of attorney. It's just a suggestion, Mr. Deeds. But if you'd give it to us, we could take care of everything for you. It would save you a lot of annoyances. Every shark in town is going to try to sell you something.
12: Yes, there have been a lot of them around already. Strangest kind of people. Salesmen, politicians, and moochers. All wanting something. I haven't had a minute to myself. Haven't seen Grant's tomb yet. Oh, by the way, where's all the money? In a...
3: Bank? Uh, uh, no, uh, there's approximately a million and a half in cash. Uh, <coughs> the accountants are working on the books now. Uh, be ready in several weeks. It sounds complicated. Oh, yes, that's why I suggested you letting us take care of it. A rich man should uh, unburden himself.
12: You mean besides wanting to be my lawyer, you also want to handle my investments? Why, yes. Well, outside of your regular fee, how much extra would it cost?
3: Oh, nothing. No, 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 no extra charge. No charge? But there'd be a lot of extra work, wouldn't there? Oh, it's an added service. A firm like Cedar, 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 and Buddington usually donates.
12: Only thing, I haven't been able to think of a rhyme for Buddington yet.
3: Neither have I. Uh, Mr. Dees, I, uh... Listen. A fire engine. Hey, I gotta see it. There it
9: goes. Boy, look at her. Oh, Mr. Dees, please. Let him alone, Cedar. If he likes to watch fire engines, that's his business.
12: Gee, that was a pip. <laughs> We expect to have one in Mandrake Falls pretty soon, with a siren, too. Uh, Mr.
3: Deeds, I wish you'd give that matter some thought. Huh? Is this a matter of the power of attorney?
12: Oh, yes, yes, I will. I'll
3: give it a lot of thought.
12: A fellow by the name of Winslow is in here and wanted to handle my affairs for nothing, too. It kind of puzzles me why people want to do a lot of work for nothing. It isn't natural. So I guess I'll have to think about it some more.
3: (laughs) Quite right. You, you, You have a good business head, Mr. Deeds. Being an attorney for you is going to be a very simple affair. You're not my attorney yet, Mr. Cedar. Not till I find out what's on your mind.
12: Suppose you get the books straightened out right away so I can look into everything.
3: Are you suggesting
12: that... No, sir, but I'd just like to look the books over. After that, I'll let you know if if you're going to be my attorney or not.
3: Oh, oh, I I see. Uh,
9: uh, Good day, Mr. D.
3: Good day. You know, Cobb,
12: I think there's something fishy about him.
9: There once was a cedar, so tall and so green, chopped down by a hick to the size of a bean. New York Evening Mail.
7: Hello? New York Evening Mail. Mr. McGowan, one moment, I'll connect you. Hello? New York Evening Mail. Hello. Hello,
11: McGowan speaking. Oh, hello, Mr. Hines. Yeah? Yeah, sure, Mr. Hines. I'll get something on him right away. Well, that was a boss again, babe. He's yelling murder. He says this guy Deeds is news and big news.
10: Sure, but how do you expect me to get at him? Cobb keeps him under lock and key. I'm a reporter, not a magician.
11: Well, you won't be a reporter long if you don't get some dope on this guy, and I won't be an editor. Hines is yelling for human interest stuff. What this guy Deeds thinks about the big town. How how does it feel to be a millionaire? Is he going to get married? Is he smart? Is he dumb? That's the angle. And we've got to get it for him. Well, how about it, babe?
10: I'll do my best, Mac, but it'll take time.
11: Listen, babe, you get the story and you can have anything you want.
10: How about a month's vacation? With pay. With pay? Keep four columns open on page one tomorrow.
11: Now you're talking, babe. I'll keep the whole front page open. How are you
0: going
10: to do it? I don't know yet, but I'll get to him if I have to pull a phony faint right on his doorstep. (laughs)
4: Hey, what's the
12: matter here? Are you hurt, miss? Oh.
10: oh.
12: Here, let me help you up.
10: Oh, oh, I'm, I must have fainted on the steps. I, I sat down for a moment, and uh, oh, I'm sorry. Can I help you? No, no, thank you. I'm all right.
12: Well, this is my house. I'd like oh, to... Oh, no, help.
10: really. I'm all right. What happened? Well, I, I guess I walked too much. i been looking for a job all day. I, I found one, too. I start tomorrow. Oh, you've been very kind. Goodbye.
12: Please, you must let me help you. Uh,
10: I'm sorry.
12: Have you had your dinner?
10: Dinner? Why, uh, uh, isn't that funny? I forgot to eat. Forgot? Oh, yes. I I do that lots of times. I just get to thinking about something and I forget.
12: Well, look. I'm going to a place called uh, uh, Tulio's. Well, I think you better come along, too. Feel better now, Miss Dawson? Oh,
10: does it taste good? I don't know how to thank you, Mr.
12: I wish you'd let me help you some.
10: Please. I asked you not to talk about it. I'm sorry. You know,
12: you're the first person I've met in New York who didn't want something. Tell me more about yourself.
10: Well, I've told you everything. My folks live in a small town near Hartford. I'm here alone trying to make a living. Oh, I'm really a nobody.
12: (laughs) You were a lady in distress, weren't you? What? Oh, nothing. Anything else,
10: sir?
12: No, thanks. Oh, oh, waiter. Yeah? Anybody come in yet? Writers, I mean? Huh? Oh, no. Not really important. You'll be sure to point them out, won't you? Uh-huh. I'm a writer myself, you know. That's so? I write poetry. That's so? Well, I'll let you know. Thanks. He's <laughs> a nice fellow,
10: isn't he? Yes. Well, you've had quite an exciting time since you've been here, haven't you? All those meetings and business deals and... Society people? Aren't you having fun, Mr. Deeds?
12: No, at least I didn't. (laughs) Not till now. I like talking to you. It's funny, my finding you right on my doorstep.
10: Yes, wasn't it? Oh, Mr. Deeds?
12: Yes? Brookfield just came in. The poet? Where? Right over there. Look, Miss Dawson, there's Brookfield, the poet. Really? Who's that with him, waiter? Hanna and Morrow. Hanna and Morrow. Why, they're famous authors. Great liberals. Not with their tips, they ain't. Gee, that's marvelous right here in the same room with me. Gosh, I wish I could meet them. Well, I might be able to fix it for you. Could you? Sure. I'll be right back. You hear that, Miss Dawson? I'm going to meet them and talk to them. Gosh, <laughs> what a night.
11: Mr. Deeds. Mr. Deeds, wake up, sir. It's late.
12: Shut it off. Shut that a little.
11: Yes, sir. Mm. It's very late, sir. 11 o'clock. In the morning, yes, sir.
12: You, uh, you're my butler, aren't you?
11: Yes, sir.
12: I just wanted to make sure.
11: If you permit me to say so, sir, uh, you were out on quite a party last night.
12: Was I? Oh, oh yeah. my head feels like it. Has Miss Dawson phoned? No, sir. She was a lady in distress, Walter, but she wouldn't let me help her. She's got pride. I like that. Deeds. Oh. Hello, Cobb.
9: i got to speak to you right away.
12: Get some coffee, will you, please, Walter?
9: Very good, sir. Now, listen. Where were you last night?
12: Why, I um, met a young lady, Miss Dawson. Went to Tulio's.
9: Did you sock somebody there? A poet?
12: Yes, a fellow named Brookfield.
9: Why? Why?
12: I thought I'd better teach him some manners, you see. He invited me over to his table, but after I got there, I found out he only wanted to make fun of me.
9: So you up and socked him? Not very hard.
12: He said some things in front of Miss Dawson that I didn't like.
9: Go on. After you socked him, what happened then?
12: Well, another writer there, he was in the same party. He congratulated me. He said Brookfield should have been socked long ago. Well, this other writer, he invited me out to see the town, so we went.
9: Yeah. And then what happened?
12: Well, it's a little hazy
9: after that. Well, take a look at the newspapers. They ought to refresh your memory. Look. Cinderella Man on Spree. Punches literary light at Tulio's. Shows big city how to cut up. Holds up traffic at 3 a.m. feeding donuts to horses.
12: Cinderella, man. What do they want to call me that for?
9: They'd call you anything if you give them half a chance. They got you down for a sap.
12: I think I'll go down and punch the editor on the nose. No, you don't.
9: Listen, get this clear. Punching people is not the solution to anything.
12: Sometimes it's the only solution. Not
9: editors. Take my word for it. Not editors. But what about this Cinderella man? That's my job. I'll keep that stuff out of the papers, if you'll help me. But I can't do anything if you go around talking to people. Please, will you promise me to be careful from now on? Yes. I guess I'll have to. Thanks. If you feel the building, Rock, it'll be me blasting into the Saturday. Oh, excuse me,
11: Mr. Cobb.
9: Your coffee, Mr. D. Oh,
12: Thanks. You know, Cobb's right, Walter. I mustn't talk to anybody.
11: Uh, Miss Dawson just called, sir.
12: Who? Miss Dawson?
11: She's on the phone now, sir.
12: Fine, I'll talk to her. Hand me the phone, quick. And remember, Walter, I've got to play safe. She's the only one I'm going to talk to from now on. Now,
11: let's tune in for a moment on a typical Lux home. Mrs. Ellison and her 16-year-old daughter have been listening to our play.
1: Wouldn't it be wonderful, Mother, if someone left us a lot of money like they did to Mr. Deeds?
8: What would you do with it, Betty?
1: Buy heaps of new clothes, for one thing, and dozens of new undies. Those lovely French handmade ones with lace,
7: and... Now, child, you have plenty of pretty clothes, and nice undies as it is.
1: Oh, but, Moms, I, I haven't. Why, even those new slips I got for Christmas look sort of run down now. That,
7: my dear, is your old fault. How often have I told you to take care of your underthings? Wash them every night with luxe flakes. Mine stay new-looking for months, even years, thanks to Lux.
11: Mrs. Ellison is right. Gentle Lux flakes do keep your silk things new-looking far longer. They make your lingerie really clean without hurting colors or fabrics. Things not only wear longer when luxed regularly, but you'll be delighted at how sweet and fresh they are. So why not play safe and be thrifty, too? get the habit of dipping your underthings into Lux Flakes gentle suds after each wearing. Start tonight. And once again, Mr. DeMille. Mr. Deeds goes to town, starring Gary Cooper and Gene Arthur with Lionel Stander.
4: Unaware that
11: his newly discovered friend, Miss Dawson, is really a newspaper reporter, Longfellow Deeds has taken her completely into his confidence. She is the source of all the Cinderella Man stories that are now making front page headlines. But she's beginning to feel the pangs of conscience. We find them now, sitting on a bench in Central Park.
12: This is getting to be sort of a habit with us, isn't it? What? Well, I mean taking walks and going places.
10: <laughs> yes. Here you are, prepared. Read all about
11: it. Cinderella Man plays the tuba. The give perception to society. Read all about
10: it. Cinderella Man plays...
12: There they go again. Cinderella man.
10: Does it hurt you so very much?
12: I don't know. I've tried not to worry about it. They'll write those articles till they get tired. Only, I don't understand. Why do people have to go around hurting each other? Why don't they try liking each other for a change?
10: You know, you said something when you met me. Something I've thought about a great deal. What's that? You said I was a lady in distress. Oh, that. What did you mean by that? Oh, nothing. You said it as though it had... Some significance.
12: Well, I... You see, I always had an idea that someday, well, uh, uh, Have you got a... Are you engaged or anything?
10: Why, no. Are you? No. You don't go out with girls much, do you? I haven't. Why not?
12: Oh, I don't know.
10: Well, you must have met some swell society girls since you've been here. Don't you like them?
12: I haven't met anybody here I like particularly. Uh, except you, of course. Last night after I left you, I was walking along and looking at the tall buildings and got to thinking. They created a lot of grand palaces here. But they didn't create any noblemen to put in them. I'd rather have Mandrake Falls.
10: I'm from a small town, too, you know. Really? Probably as small as Mandrake Falls.
12: Gosh, what do you know about
4: that?
10: Oh, it's a beautiful little town, too. Row of poplar trees right along Main Street. Always smelled as if it just had a bath. I've often thought about going back. Have you? Oh yes, I used to have a lot of fun there. When I was a little girl, I used to love to go fishing with my father. He was something like you, my father was. He played in the town band too.
12: He did. What did he play?
10: The drums. Taught me to play some. He did. (laughs) Yeah, I can accompany myself to Swanee River. Would you like to hear me? Sure. (laughs) Well, wait till I find a couple of sticks. Well, here's one. All right. This bench will have to do as a drum way down upon the Swanee river far far away there's where my heart is going ever there's where the old folks stay.
12: see that's swell. are you doing it again and I'll sing humorous
10: all right way down upon the Swanee River,
3: far, far away,
4: Hey,
12: there's a fire. Here comes the engine. Hey,
4: boy, you're gonna share safe Say,
12: will you do me a favor? Sure, yeah, what? Wait here for me. I want to catch that engine and see how they do it. I'll be
9: right back. Cinderella man proves himself fire-eating demon, jumps on board engine, volunteers to help firemen. Did you do that? Sure.
12: But I didn't know they'd make another story out of it.
9: I tell you, they'll make a story out of everything. But what gets me is, who's on the inside? Where are they getting their dope? I don't know. I pleaded with you not to talk to anybody. You promised me you wouldn't. But no, you've been blabbing your head off to the whole town. What have you been doing every night? Going out. So I noticed. You're not going out tonight, I hope.
12: Yes? Why?
9: Have you forgotten you've got a reception here? All the society people in town are coming.
12: Gosh, that's right. I forgot. Well? I had an appointment. I was going to meet somebody for dinner.
9: You can't dodge your own reception. It ain't etiquette.
12: No, I suppose not. Only... Only what? Well, you let me think it over.
4: I'll
12: let you know.
10: It's you, Mr. Deeves.
12: Hello. Uh, Can I come in?
10: Of course. Oh, I I didn't expect to see you this evening. I didn't think you could get away with your reception and everything.
12: Oh, I wouldn't let them stop me from seeing you. (laughs) I threw them out of the house.
10: You threw them out? You mean bodily?
12: Yes. They got on my nerves, so I threw them out. I guess that'll be in the paper tomorrow. Something else for them to laugh at. Yes, I,
10: I suppose it'll have to be in the papers.
12: I don't mind, though. I had too much fun doing it. Sit down. Thanks. I can't stay long, though. It's pretty late.
10: It's all right.
12: Is there anything wrong? No. Why? Well, you just look sort of funny. I mean, sad.
10: I get that way sometimes. How is everything going?
12: Not so good. I'm finding things out. A lot of things. What? Well, first of all, it's not so much fun being a millionaire. I wouldn't mind if they'd let me alone, but you know how it is. Yes. I once had an idea I could do something with the money. Some good, I mean. But to keep me so busy here, I didn't get to figure anything out. I guess I'll think of something when I get home.
10: Are you going home?
12: Well, a man ought to know where he fits in. I just don't seem to fit in around here. Mary?
1: Yes?
12: I was thinking of... Well, I wish you could come to Mandrake Falls sometime. Me? Yes. Yeah. You know... Within a couple of miles of my house, you can find nearly every kind of tree and bush and flower in the world. I used to spend hours in the woods just hiking around. It was wonderful. I'd generally take a girl with me. A girl? No, not a real one. I'd make one up just to have somebody to talk to. She was beautiful, too. I always knew that someday I'd meet her. Mary...
10: Wait a uh, minute. You said you found things out. Oh, so have I. This town gets you somehow. It makes you coarse, unfeeling. It's done it to me. You? Listen, dear. Don't let anybody hurt you anymore. They can't. You're too real. And you go back to Mandrake Falls. You belong there. These stories about you will stop. They'll stop right now.
12: Mary? Yes. Remember that poem I told you about? The one I was writing about you? Well, it's finished. Would you like to read it? Of course. It's to you. But you don't have to say anything after you read it. You can tell me tomorrow what you
4: think.
10: I tramped the earth with hopeless beats, searching in vain for a glimpse of you. Then heaven thrust you at my very feet, a lovely angel, too lovely to woo. My dream has been answered, but my life's just as bleak I'm handcuffed and speechless in your presence, divine. For my heart longs to cry out, if it only could speak. I love you, my angel. Be mine. Be mine.
12: You don't have to say anything now, Mary. I'll I'll wait to hear from you tomorrow.
4: Yes, tomorrow.
12: Good night, Mary. Good night.
11: Stop it, babe. Stop it. Well, what do you mean you're quitting?
10: True, Mac. I'm walking out on you. I'm through. What's bothering you, babe? Last night he proposed to me. I proposed to you?
11: You mean he asked you to marry him?
10: Yes. Why, babe, that's terrific.
11: Cinderella Man Woo's Mystery Girl. Who is the mysterious Prince, girl? Take like... my word
10: of that and I'll blow your place up.
11: Oh, I'm sorry, babe. Say, you haven't gone and fall for that mug, have you? Well, I'll be a. Oh, that's tough, babe. I'm awfully sorry. I... Well, what are you going to do?
10: I'm going tell him the truth.
11: Oh, tell him you're babe, Bennett? Tell him you're making a stooge out of him?
10: I've got a lunch date with him. He expects an answer. It's going to be pretty.
11: Oh, don't be a sucker, babe. You can disappear, can't you? Oh, I
10: thought of that, too. You need
11: never see him again.
10: That's the rub.
11: Oh, it's as bad as that, huh?
10: Telling him's a long shot. I'm going to take it. Hand me the phone, will you, Mac?
11: Now, listen, babe. Listen, I, are you sure you're doing the right thing?
10: <laughs> right thing? It'll be a novelty for me.
11: Hello? Oh, good morning, Miss Dawson. No, Mr. Deed is not here just now. Yes? I'll tell him. Not at all. Good morning, Walter. Oh, Mr. Deed.
12: Uh, has Miss Dawson called yet,
11: Walter? Yes, sir. She was just on the phone, sir.
12: Is she coming for lunch?
11: She didn't say, sir. She'll call later.
9: Oh, here Hello, Cobb. I want to speak to you. Sure. I don't mind you making a sucker out of yourself, but you made one out of me, too. Huh? I finally had sense enough to have you followed last night. Who's that girl you've been running around with?
12: Why, she's Mary
9: Dawson. Mary Dawson, huh? Mary Dawson, my eye. She's Babe Bennett.
12: Babe Bennett?
9: Yeah. She's the star reporter on the mail. And every time you opened your kisser, you were giving her another story. That's the dame that slapped the moniker on you, Cinderella Man. You've been making love to a double dose of cyanide.
12: Shut up. Get me the newspaper on the phone.
9: Sure. Hello? Give me Wall, 70689. Yeah. Now you'll see. Hello? Evening mail? I want to speak to Babe Bennett. Yeah. Hello? Miss Bennett? Hold on a minute. Here, take it.
12: Hello? <clears throat> is that you, Mary? Well, this is Longfellow Deeds. Mary, I, I I want you to tell me something. Are you the one who, who's been writing those articles about me? I see. Don't no bother. There's nothing to explain. Goodbye. Well, was I right or wrong? She said she was going to tell me today. It's too late now.
9: What are you going to do?
12: I'm going home.
9: Home? But what about the estate? You can't just walk off and leave everything like that. What's going to happen?
12: I don't care what happens. I never wanted the money. You can give it away.
9: For all I care, give
12: it to the people that need it. it. It never did me any good. Just a lot of trouble and pain. I don't want it. I'm going back home where I belong.
4: for
11: station identification. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. KNX, Los Angeles, the voice of Hollywood. In a few moments, we'll resume Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, starring Gary Cooper in the title role and Jean Arthur as as the reporter. We hear now from another lady of the press, Faye Gillis. Miss Gillis fell rather than rose to fame. One of the best-known ladybirds in America, she became the first woman member of the Caterpillar Club, whose ranks are composed solely of those who have saved their lives by parachute jumps from airplanes. When Wiley Post made his record-breaking flight around the world, it was Miss Gillis who met him in Siberia with food and fuel, the place occupied by Will Rogers, and his tragic flight with Wiley Post was relinquished to Mr. Rogers at the last moment by Miss Gillis. She is now in Hollywood, reporting for the New York Herald Tribune, and expects to leave shortly for the Orient. Ladies and gentlemen, Faye Gillis.
7: Thank you, Mr. DeMille.
11: Becoming a member of the Caterpillar Club, Miss Gillis, must have been a very exalting experience.
7: On the contrary, it was decidedly a come-down. I still think flying is the safest means of transportation and use commercial planes whenever I can. But I've had to give up private flying temporarily because it's too much of a luxury.
11: Which do you consider the most important syllable of luxury? Lux, of course. Ah.
7: And I'll never give that up. In fact, I carry it with me wherever I go, though it's hardly necessary anymore, for I find it everywhere, from Vladivostok to Pambanok and Java. By the way... Here's another use for Lux Flakes, washing leopards. I've had my pet leopard, Snooks, ever since she was a little bundle of fur caught in the African jungle. And she's with me now in Hollywood. Snooks has the most beautiful coat you ever saw. There's a reason. Since babyhood, she's had a bath twice a month with Lux Flakes and loves it.
11: Hmm. Trying to put Lux on the spot, huh?
4: Mm.
11: Uh, (laughs) Faye, you must find Hollywood rather dull after reporting wars, coronations, and other exciting events.
7: Why, no. When my feet start itching, I can take a trip around the world by touring the studios. I can visit Tibet on the Columbia lot where Harry Cohen has erected spectacular Shangri-La for Lost Horizon, the magnificent new film directed by Frank Capra, who also directed the screen version of tonight's play, Mr. Deeds. I can visit Naples on the set of Doddsworth, India and Afghanistan, and Shirley Temple's new film, Wee Willie Winky, Berlin in the Road Back. Westminster Abbey in The Prince and the Pauper, Dublin in The Plow and the Stars, and China in The Good Earth. And now, thanks very much, Mr. DeMille. I'll be seeing you at Paramount before long, slinking through the bayous of Louisiana with Lafitte, the buccaneer.
11: Huh. Good night, Globe Saddle. <laughs> Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, starring Gary Cooper and Jean Arthur with Lionel Stander. Completely disillusioned, Longfellow Deeds started giving his money away to needy farmers. But Mr. Cedar, acting for some distant relative of old Simples, immediately entered a charge of insanity. Deeds, confined to the county hospital for observation, refused to speak or enter any defense. And now, on the opening day of the insanity hearing, with the little courtroom jammed, Cedar is just finishing, finishing his address to the bench.
3: In the the only other living relatives of the late Martin W. Semple, we cannot permit a fortune so huge to be dissipated by a person whose incompetency and abnormality we shall prove beyond any reasonable doubt. We present our first witness, your honor, Miss Louise Bay Bennett. Quiet. Miss Bennett. Uh, you're employed by the evening
8: mail.
10: Your Honor, this is ridiculous.
8: You will please answer the question. The whole
10: hearing's ridiculous. That man's no more insane than you are. They're trying to railroad this man for the money they can get out of it. Oh,
8: Ronald. Landlady? Another outburst like this, and I shall hold you in contempt. Proceed.
3: Are you employed by the evening mail?
10: No. I resigned last week.
8: Prior to that
3: time, were you employed by the evening mail? Yes. Were you given an assignment to follow the activities of Mr. Longfellow Deeds? Yes. Did you subsequently write a series of articles about him? Yes. Are these the articles? Yes. You were present when all these things took place? Yes. Are they true? No. But they did
1: take place. They're
10: colored just to make him look silly. But you saw them happen. Yes, but I... That's all. It isn't all. I'd like to explain it. That's all,
3: Miss Bennett.
10: Your Honor, what kind of a hearing is this? What are you trying to do? Persecute the man? He's not defending himself. Somebody's got to do it. Miss
1: Bennett, please.
8: I'm willing to listen to anything that anyone has to say. But I insist to be done in an orderly fashion. When you learn to show some respect for the court, you can return. Until then, you'd better go back to your seat and calm down. Mr. Deeds, do you wish to say anything in defense of these articles? Oh, very well. Go on, Mr. Cedar. Our
3: next witnesses will testify together, Your Honor. Uh, take the stand, please. Yes, sir. Uh, wh- what's your name?
1: Jane Faulkner. This is my sister, Amy. Yes, Amy. Uh,
3: I'll uh, direct all my questions to you, Miss Jane. Uh, you can answer for both. Uh, do you know the defendant, Longfellow Deeds?
7: Oh, yes. Yes, of course we know him. Uh,
3: how long have you known him?
7: Since he was born,
1: Yes. He was a 7 months baby. <coughs> uh,
3: yes, that's fine, thank you. And, uh, do you see him very often?
8: Most every day. Sometimes twice. Must we have the echo? <laughs> uh,
3: suppose you just answer, Miss Jane. Uh, now tell me,
8: what
4: does
3: everybody back home think of Longfellow Deeds?
1: They think he's pixelated. Oh, yes, pixelated. He's what? Uh,
3: what did you say he was?
1: Pixelated.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, uh, perhaps I can explain, Your Honor. Uh, the word pixelated is uh, an early American expression uh, derived from the word pixies, uh, meaning elves. Yes. Uh, they would say uh, the pixies have got him, as we nowadays would say a man is balmy. Is that correct, Miss Jane?
8: Mm-hmm. Why does everyone think he's uh, <clears throat> pixelated? Does he do peculiar things?
1: He walks in the rain, without his hat, and talks to himself. Sometimes he whistles and sings. We always run in the house when we see him coming. He sure is pixelated. Oh, yes, he's pixelated all right.
3: Thank you, ladies, thank you. That'll be all. (laughs) You see, Your Honor, the man's actions speak for themselves. Um, I have one more witness whom I'd like to present at this point. Dr. Emil Fraser, the eminent Austrian psychiatrist. (laughs) Uh, Dr. Fraser, uh, will you give us your opinion, please, in simple terminology, if possible?
11: Certainly. It is my opinion that Longfellow Deeds is a manic depressive. In cases of this kind, patients sometimes go on for years before they are detected. Uh, Why is that, Dr. Fraser? That is because their moods change so quickly and so often. First, they are extremely depressed, melancholy. Then the mood changes again in the other direction, until until they reach a state of high exaltation. Here, everything is fine. Here, the world is beautiful. Uh, How would you say, Dr. Fraser, that this applies to Mr. Deeds? The symptoms are obvious. Then he is on top of the wave. He plays his tuba, writes his childish poems, chases fire engines in his desire to help humanity. This is contrasted with his present mood which is so low that even the instinct for self-preservation is lacking. Another significant point was his desire to give away every bit of his fortune. Oh, yes, there's no doubt. He is an obvious case of manic
9: depressive. Thank you, Dr. Fraser. Thank you. That is all, Your Honor. Deeds, you're not going to let him get away with this, are you? At least let me ask for postponement. Cedar will settle out of court for $2 million. He told me that.
8: Mr. Deeds, before I arrive at a decision, isn't there anything you want to say?
9: Come on, don't be a sucker.
8: Very well, if you won't speak. Mr. Deeds, in view of the testimony, I think it advisable for your own safety that you be sent to a state hospital. You need medical attention, Mr. Deeds. Perhaps in a little while...
10: No, wait a minute. You can't do it. Please, you've got to make him talk. Let me try. Darling, darling, please. I know everything I've done. I know how horrible I've been. If you'll never see me again, no matter what happens, do this for me.
8: Miss Bennett, please.
10: You said I could speak. You said I could have my say if I were rational. I'm rational. I'll take the witness chair.
3: not honor. What she's saying it has no bearing on the case. Let her speak.
10: I know why he won't defend himself. That has a bearing on the case, hasn't it? He's been hurt. He's been hurt by everybody he's met since he came here. Principally by me. He's been the victim of every conniving crook in town. The newspapers pounced on him. Made him a target for their feeble humor. I was smarter than the rest of them. I got closer to him so I could laugh louder. Why shouldn't he keep quiet every time he said anything was twisted around to sound imbecilic? He can thank me for it. Or Honor, this is
4: preposterous.
10: Certainly I wrote those articles. But I stopped writing them when I found out what he was all about. When I realized how real he was when I found out he could never fit in with our distorted viewpoint, because his was honest and sincere and good. If that man's crazy, Your Honor, the rest of us belong in jacket. This is a third, Your
3: Honor. The woman is obviously in love with him.
10: What's that got to do with it? But you are in love with him, aren't you?
4: Yes! <laughs> Quiet, please.
8: In the interest of this defendant, I've tolerated a great deal of informality. If there's one more outburst, I shall have the courtroom cleared.
9: Your Honor, I'd like to put in my two cents. I've known this man fellow... Sit down.
12: Your Honor. Yes, Mr. Deeds? I'd like to put in my two cents worth.
8: Go ahead, Mr. Deeds.
12: Well, I don't know where to begin. There have been so many things said about me. Of course... Mr. Cedar has a right to think I'm loony. I once considered paying him $100,000 a year for his services. (laughs) How about my playing the tuba? Seems like a lot of fuss has been made about that. If a man's crazy just because he plays the tuba, somebody better look into it because there are a lot of tuba players running around loose. Of course, I don't see any harm in it. I play mine whenever I want to concentrate. That may sound funny to some people, but most everybody does something silly when they're thinking. For instance... The judge here is an O-filler. A what? An O-filler. You fill in all the spaces in the O's with your pencil. I was watching you.
8: (laughs) Uh, Proceed, Mr. Deeds.
12: Yes, sir. Well, that may make you look a little crazy, Your Honor, just sitting around and filling in O's, but I don't see anything wrong because that helps you think. Other people are doodlers. Doodlers? Well, that's a name we made up back home for... (laughs) <laughs> for people who make foolish designs on paper when they're thinking. Oh, okay. It's called doodling. Almost everybody's a doodler. Did you ever see a scratch pad in a telephone booth? People draw the most idiotic pictures when they're thinking. Dr. Fraser here could probably think up a long name for it because he doodles all the time.
4: <laughs>
12: I picked up this paper he was scribbling on. I can't figure out what it is. One minute it looks like a chimpanzee and the next it looks like a picture of Mr. Cedar. <laughs>
8: Quiet,
12: please, Quiet. Looks kind of stupid, doesn't it, Judge? But I guess it's all right if Dr. Fraser has to doodle to help him think, that's his business. Everybody does something different. Some people are ear pullers, some are nail biters. Mr. Cedar is a nose twitcher. See him? So you see, Your Honor, everybody does funny things to help them think.
3: Well, I play the tuba. Your Honor, this is becoming possible. I suggest Mr. Deeds dispense with the side remarks. Let him stick to pack. Be quiet,
8: please. Go on, Mr. Deeds.
12: Now, about the Faulkner sisters, that's funny. I mean, about Mr. Cedar going all the way to Mandrake Falls to bring them here. Would you mind if I talk to them? Not at all. Jane, who owns the house you live in?
7: Why, you do long, fella. Yes, you own it.
12: Do you pay any rent?
7: No, we don't pay any
1: rent. Good heavens, no. We never pay rent.
12: Are you happy there?
1: Oh, yes. Yes, indeed.
12: Now, uh, a little while ago, you said I was pixelated. Do you still think so?
7: Oh, yes. You've always been pixelated, Longfellow. Always.
12: Now, that's fine. I guess maybe I am. Now, Now, tell me something, Jane. Who else in Mandrake Falls is pixelated? Come on. Who else in Mandrake Falls is pixelated?
7: Why, everybody in Mandrake Falls is pixelated. Except us. All except
4: us.
12: There's <laughs> uh, so, uh, just one more question. Uh, do you see the judge here? He's a nice man, isn't he? Mm hmm.
4: Mm-hmm.
12: Uh, do you think he's pixelated?
1: Oh, yes. Yes, is. Uh, well, that's all, ladies.
8: Uh, you haven't touched on the most important thing, Mr. Deeds. This rather fantastic plan of yours to want to give away your entire fortune is, uh, to say the least, most uncommon.
12: Well, I was getting to that, Your Honor, of course. I don't know why all this hellabaloo has been raised about my giving the money away. The plain fact is, I don't want it. I never earned it, and so far it's brought me nothing but, but hard luck. Now, my idea was very simple. I was going to give each farmer who needed help ten acres of land. A horse, a cow, and some seed. And if they work the farm for three years, it's theirs. Now, if that's crazy, maybe I ought to be sent to an institution. But I don't think it is. And what's more, Mr. Cedar doesn't either. Right before the hearing started, he offered to call the whole thing off if I made a settlement with him for $2 million. So you see, he wouldn't think I was crazy if he got paid off.
8: Lie! Mr. Deeds is drawing on his warped imagination. You will please permit Mr. Deeds to finish? Anything else, Mr. Deeds?
12: No. Yes. There's one thing more I'd like to get off my chest before I finish.
8: Go ahead, Mr. Deeds.
4: Thank
12: you. Mr. Cedar, I've tried to teach a few people some manners here lately. You're next.
9: Don't sock him, Deeds. Don't. Order. Order.
11: Order.
8: Mr. Deeds. The court has come to a decision. There has been a great deal of damaging testimony against you. Your behavior, to say the least, has been most strange. But in my opinion, you are not only sane, but you are the sanest man that ever walked into this courtroom.
4: Thanks. Well,
8: you are free to go now. Best of luck.
12: Gosh, thank you. That's swell. Wait a minute. Uh, Where's Mary? Hey, Mary! Mary!
10: I've got a hit here. No, no, please let me go. Mary! You don't want to speak to me.
12: Yes, I do. I can leave now, Mary. Look, uh, the judge said so, and, and I'd like you to come with me back to Mandrake Falls.
10: Mandrake Falls? Will you, Mary? Mandrake Falls? Don't get
9: hysterical, kid. It ain't as bad as that.
10: It's a beautiful place. I know it is. And and I'd love
9: it. Oh, gosh, Mary. <laughs> well, I guess that's settled. I'll get the tickets and pack up your things, Dee.
12: Gosh, you're wonderful, Mary.
9: I said I'll get the tickets and pack up your things, Dee.
12: Huh? Oh, oh, thanks. And and Cobb. Yeah. Don't forget my tuba, will you? <laughs>
2: And that was the fabulous Gary Cooper, Gene Arthur, and Lionel Stander in the Lux Radio Theatre's version of Frank Capra's Mr. Deeds Goes to Town. They really don't make them like that anymore, do they? Well, let's just see if you guessed who our mystery Hollywood legend was
7: then. It isn't the comedy that Arlene is in, is it? Oh. Once more with feeling. <laughs>
10: <laughs> Who is it, Dorothy? Joseph
4: Cotton. Joseph Cotton is right. <laughs>
2: it was Joseph Cotton, star of our film festival. Did you get it? Of course she you did. You're all telepathic far too smart. Well, that's all from me for this week. Remember, if you'd like bonus editions of this show, there are 80 more of these things waiting for you now over at patreon.com slash Secret. If you'd like to be among the first to hear the new Secret History of Hollywood episode, Carrie Part 2, The Continuing Life of Carrie Grant's, then previews will be out soon at Patreon. There's a movie commentary incoming too, as well as a weekly invitation to Film Club updates exclusive access to hundreds more hours of classic hollywood storytelling an entirely exclusive mini bite-sized secret history series called blueprints and you get your name in the credits of every show and you'll be responsible for the making of these shows and i love you forever just go to www.patreon.com slash secrets, or click the link in the show notes or listen on to the end of this show if you completely missed all that and hopefully I'll see you there very soon just remains for me to say thank you for joining me this week take splendid care of yourselves and those you love and bye for now if you'd like to support this show you can do so by going to www attaboyclarence.com and clicking on the Patreon banner. Pledges start from as little as one dollar a month and in return you'll receive exclusive emails, bonus episodes, previews and eBooks. and every dollar pledged goes towards making these shows better and more frequent. Go to www.attaboyclarence.com or click the link in the show notes now to become a patron. Thank you.
8: Yeah, Film Vault. We are one of the original film podcasts. That you can't be it? true. There was like two other film podcasts when we began, Brian.
0: How long are we doing this show?
2: You and I first sat down and did a version of the show over 20 years
0: My ago. My God.
2: Two episodes each week.
0: One. We are review movies And the first episode and the
5: second one. Different top five every week. Movies that made you cry. Worst movie accents. Most disturbing movies. All right, the Film Vault, check it out. Wherever you find a fine podcasts. That's right, the Film Vault. Going on 20 plus years.